Hello, I'm Philip Simon. And I'm Rachel Krieger. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Reform, so I grew up seeing Friends on Friday nights. And I'm Orthodox, so I had to record it and watch it when Shabbat went out. This is the chat show that recreates the sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bar mitzvah. Even the non-believers find themselves praying it will go well. Each week we'll bring you two of our favourite Jews to chat about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they Pickled Herring or Liam Perrins? Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. So, Rachel, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? The other night, my teenage son was booked to go out with his youth club to a bonfire and barbecue, and I had to drop him off. And I could see that the weather forecast was terrible. There were going to be storms. So I was very insistent that he should wear a coat. That sounds like very good parenting, and I'm sure he appreciated the gesture. Uh, No, he's 15, so he refused. And in the end, he said he would only take a hoodie and not a proper coat. And then, lo and behold, about 15 minutes after I dropped him off at the youth club it poured with rain like bucketed down for about 40 minutes and I felt like massively vindicated of course because uh-huh. of that and then when I went to pick him up he was completely bone dry and he told me that in fact it only rained during the coach journey to the place where the barbecue and bonfire was going to happen and then the Jewish mother in me was really conflicted because half of me felt I was the Jewish mother that was relieved that my child didn't get soaking wet and that he wasn't going to catch a cold and the other half of me was a Jewish mother who was very irritated that I hadn't been proven right and that he would have needed that coat in the first place. (laughs) What about you, Philip? Well, this isn't uh, just this week, actually, but I guess the whole of lockdown, as obviously my wife and I have been trying to spend time with our two boys as much as possible, stay on top of the homeschooling. Obviously, we've needed time for ourselves to do our own work and for our sanity. We are delighted to be locked down in a time of Amazon Prime, Netflix and Disney+. Plus. Although they've got thousands of films and TV programmes available to watch, our kids have basically found just a few things they like and you take your life in your hand trying to change their minds. So if it's TV, it's Blaze or Octonauts. And if it's a film, it's Moana or Frozen, Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. I'm pretty sure you told me recently that you showed them Home Alone 2. Yes. Okay, so we did. Because every so often we do manage to convince them to watch something new, which my oldest always tells us is, fine, I'll watch it even though it's going to be bad. And of course, then he loves it and talks about it all the time, even reenacts bits from it. But then when it's time to watch something again, they're just back to their reliable, trusted favourites and won't be swayed. So even though my Mm -hmm. son are just three and five, I think they're basically old Jewish men completely set in their ways with that world-weary mindset of nobody likes change. (laughs) Whenever I ask why they don't want to watch anything new, they just say, because we don't which I think is the modern day children's version of Topple saying tradition, tradition. (laughs) Well, Philip, I'm quite nervous to change the subject now, but (laughs) the show's not all about us. It's time to bring on our guests. Our first is a writer, broadcaster, educator and musician. She's the author of several books, including the award-winning Revenge of the She-Punk and the Book of Exodus, which is all about Bob Marley and the Whalers. At New York University, she's known as the punk professor, but to me, she's known as Auntie Vivian. It's Vivian Goldman. 
Hello, can you hear me? We We're can. Hear you. Oh, that's very exciting because I can hear you too. What's the noise coming from outside? Well, unfortunately, this very moment, people have just chosen to unpack a car. It's a very reality-drenched uh, piece here <laughs> because I'm in this groovy, open-plan place. So, Vivian, how do you self-define in terms of your Jewish identity? By which I'm really asking, what kind of a Jew are you? Well, that's a very rich sort of, you know, layered like some very layered Jewish cake whose name I can't think of right now. <laughs> Idea. I suppose definitely, you know, I was raised in a fairly orthodox home. I remember all the sort of cultural bargaining, like when the other men from the area would come around to sneakily watch TV on Shabbos afternoon. So we were naughty in that regard within our community, but that means ultra-orthodox compared to most people who have, you know, no idea what it means not to take a bus on Shabbos. And then I personally, as a human in my journey through life, became an SGI Buddhist and thus, I suppose, joined the ranks of the Jews in a way. I suppose I'm a sort of anti-fascist Jew of the old school. And Vivian, obviously we're aware that you are coming to us live from Jamaica. And my question to you is, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? To me, everything that happens to me is a Jewish thing. Oi! I definitely think all the angst I've experienced, both personal and for the state of the world, will always mark me out as a Jew. But it does make me realise that you can't in a way say a, a Jew because there's so many different kinds of Jews, not only Ashkenazi or Sephardi or Ethiopian or what have you, but also Jews who define themselves by all sorts of different things. I find having lived in America for a while, the Jewish mentality is, is really different than my mentality as a European Jew, child of Holocaust survivors and all that. That shapes my Judaism and makes me an activist, but it doesn't do that for everybody. Thank you. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. I do keep thinking what my mother, your sister, is going to say about all your answers and which of them she'll agree with and which of them she'll disagree with. Listen, I think there's very little about me that your mother doesn't know or that would surprise your mother <laughs> about me, honestly. <laughs> well, say, say something for the Bruegger segment. So now it's time to bring on our second guest. He's an artist, a designer, a punk historian known for his fashion brand, Toby Pimlico. He was a youth member of the notorious anarchist Street Army and later co-founded the East London art group, The Grey Organisation. More recently, he's become known for the Mock Collection, which is an archive of UK punk rock and political artefacts. He runs a cultural traffic arts and publishing fair. It's Toby Mott. Hi. <laughs> Hello, Toby. Hello, Hi. Toby. So, Toby, what kind of a Jew are you? Well, I wouldn't define myself, but I'm a cultural Jew <laughs> and uh, very much attracted to the food culture and the humour of my oh. Jewishness. I can identify with that. <laughs> yes. Toby, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? Well, apart from my diet, I've got some frankfurters in the fridge I'm going to eat after this. I weekly go to a Schwitz and have what we call in London a schmice, which is a kind of raffia brush covered in soap. And we massage each other in the steam room, a bunch of elderly Jews on the whole, although actually it's pretty mixed and diverse group. And we're doing that in Canning Town, East London, because the uh, schwitz we usually use is not open. 
So I do that weekly, and then I often pop into Panzers and spend more money than I should on some kind of delicacy like chopped liver or um, schmaltz herring or something. So any fat that you've sweated out of the Schwitz, you immediately replenish in chopped liver or some other kind of deliciousness. I guess living in central London is pretty Jewish on the whole. I mean, people don't talk about that, but it is. There's synagogue, there's three in walking distance. Not that I go to them. So we always like to begin the show by checking in with our guests. These are difficult times. So we want to know, what's the matter, Bubbala? Vivian, what's been bothering you recently? I'm not really sure you want to ask that question. (laughs) Uh, Point me towards the couch. It's hard to know where to begin. I was very upset about Antarctica, for example. And that's even a far removed sort of thing. Last night when I was coming home, there was like a huge thunderstorm, part of a hurricane that happened to cross where I was. And Funnily enough, although there were rocks thundering onto the road in front of the car, I found I was less worried about it than I was about things like the Antarctic and things like you hardly know where to start, you know, because my Mm. actual residence is America. So that's sort of prime, you know, what with them pulling down post boxes and so on. And that's sort of nothing to do with the fact that I find it hard to get a good haircut in Kingston. (laughs) So there's a whole slew where where to begin. Just so that people don't get upset here in the UK, this is not Kingston's Surrey, where you can get fabulous haircuts. <laughs> Again, Kingston, Jamaica. Yeah, but there's plenty, plenty for a gashai at the moment, isn't there? Some would say, I remember other eras of life that were indisputably more optimistic and expansive. Yet, however, that is the job of the human spirit to rise above and deal with whatever is thrown our way. And what about you, Toby? What's been bothering you, Bubbler? Oh, the endless rain. <laughs> The disappearing summer, the misery. I don't know where to stop. I soldier on despite the hardships. That's the most we can hope for for all of us, soldiering on. There's optimism in there as well. Yes, we shall persevere and get through this. I'm going to ask the next question, therefore. Oh, he's gone. No, I've got my guess. Who's this? Charlotte. Is Charlotte a Jewish cat? She's a princess. (laughs) (laughs) How does she feel about chopped liver? She's very demanding, especially about her dietary requirements. Does she eat herring? Uh, Yeah, she loves fish. She's my better (laughs) half. I share the limelight with her. Has she ever been for a schwitz? No. (laughs) Taking the cat to the steam room. Now, regular listeners will know that Rachel always likes us to ask our guests, have you eaten yet? And it's lovely to hear that Charlotte the Cat has such a positive relationship with Jewish food. But we also want to find out if you've any particular memories of human Jewish food. Toby. Uh, Well, my grandmother and my mother, but my grandmother really used to lay out those amazing Sunday lunches. And uh, they would always end with this trifle, which had many layers. And on the top was cream and this green stuff. I've forgotten what it's called. But my grandmother always made that and she was the real matriarch of our family. I always remember that and her chopped liver was amazing. And that really introduced me to that kind of cuisine, which really I find it in America much more than here. Here, there just don't seem to be those kind of delis, which I miss. So New York and Los Angeles, I get my fix of um, yeah, that kind of East European food. We just don't have it here. I don't know what happened. We used to have it at Blooms and stuff. It's gone. Yeah. Well, Blooms was an experience all of its own, wasn't it? Because 
it was like they were doing you a massive favor by letting you come in and uh, pay to eat their food and uh, god forbid you put your knife and fork down for a second they'd whip that plate away yeah. in the blink of an eye to turn the tables over i seem to remember a trip to blooms where it was the first time i'd seen a menu that had rules on it <laughs> what do you mean i think it was blooms it was definitely one of the kosher restaurants in that sort of area but i'm sure it had rules on how customers were supposed to behave really yeah. i don't remember that at all the only other time i've seen rules is when you go to like an eat all you can buffet and it's a, <laughs> not eat all you can it's uh -huh. eat all you can in an hour and 45 minutes and if you leave anything on your plate you'll be charged extra when my husband was a student he lived with uh, three of his very close friends in a house share and there was a kosher eat all you want buffet style restaurant that opened up near to where they lived and these were four students so they would wait all week save up their pennies and then go and they would decimate this buffet like a plague of locusts <laughs> and after quite a short amount of time like a number of months it closed and we're all pretty sure that that one student house share <laughs> just completely put them out of business <laughs> your memories really reminded me of this place my dad used to take us in the east end in greater x street it looked like a sort of community center where they did stuff for the elderly at certain times like, it became a kosher fish and chips restaurant and it was almost like a secret club if you knew you knew i went to nauticalus on friday which is pretty jewish although it's not jewish but everyone in there was jewish that's like the media we have a fabulous fish and chip place in boreham wood this isn't a kosher place it's just a really good fish and chip place they do fish goujons in matzo meal yeah yeah i mean that's i'll be honest i'm not well. an aficionado <laughs> Uh, I am. Fish and strips is like a gourmet food now. When I visit England, I see it's comparatively died out, whereas it used to be very accessible. It's invented yeah. by Jews. Yes. Yes. Nigella Lawson posted about that on Twitter, and she got a big pile on from people arguing about it. Vivian, do you have any particular fond memories of Jewish food? Jewish food? Well, I was at the time the champion chopped liver maker on our stretch of Finchley Road when they had those hand cranking machines. Mm -hmm. But we were just having a discussion about the cultural differences between chicken soup as Yekas understand it and chicken soup in the Caribbean, where feeling in need of nurture, I had actually decided to make a classic sort of chicken soup. And when my Caribbean friend came in he was like you call that chicken soup that's nothing and he proceeded to sort of throw into it all this extraneous stuff like yam sweet potato green banana thyme. Oh it was a beautiful thing but it just made me really think what is chicken soup as we understand it as yekas right they call it penicillin but really it's a sort of plasma like the juice of a coconut <laughs> you know because it's kind of mainlining this chicken that obviously Obviously, was somehow intended to give its life for your feeding and your care. And in classic pure bouillon broth chicken soup, you get it directly with no vegetables, except for a little touch of celery, onion and carrot, of course, but no great sort of lumps of stuff to that really make it more starchy and frankly, turn it into more of a stew. Mm -hmm. So that's my thought. Cultural differences when it comes to chicken soup, both fabulous, but in different ways and serving slightly different functions. Just tell me out, yekas. What? what? What's that? Yekas are Jews of German origin. Very sort of strict, uptight, judgmental type of German. Yeah. <laughs> 
for people who haven't picked up on this, Vivian is my actual aunt. She's my mum's sister. Yes. And that side of the family were all German. And my other side of the family, my dad's side of the family, were Polish and Russian. And the chicken soup that my two grandmothers made were completely different from each other. So like your mum's soup, my granny's soup, was full of vegetables, full of meat, full of lokshen, which is like noodles, but really fat lokshen. It was gorgeous. And my other grandma also made amazing, gorgeous soup, but it was much more like, what's the word for it when it's clear? Broth. It was a... A clear broth. Like a, a clear, broth. clear broth. She strained everything out of it. And then separately, she would serve the carrots, the celery that, that had been sitting in it. You can see it's a fetish for Jews. And maybe you don't have to be a yekka to understand it. But I'm a yekka. So anything I say, you know, that may be viewed as judgmental towards yekkas is only because I'm a yekka. So what can we do? <laughs> Rachel is a very good cook, you know. Absolutely oh, really? excellent. Toby, you're welcome to come over and uh, have chicken soup in my house. And you're she involved. keeps offering all of our guests really? dinner. Yeah. Really? And she makes latkes. She even uh, makes her own colour. Uh, Not every week, I'll be honest, these days. But <laughs> she became a media celebrity. It took her away from her essence as a braider of bread. So Vivian, we're all aware that you've got a favourite family member, but do you have any favourite family feuds? Are there any backstories that I might not know about where people haven't got on with each other? Because we love a little boy girls, those petty arguments. I didn't know of any, but you know, maybe after the show you can tell me some. <laughs> Very diplomatic. I'm going to text my mum now and see if she concurs. We don't make it into a Bruegus, we just laugh at it. And I think that is another a whole approach to the Bruegus thing. I don't believe in them. I think they're kind of vulgar and, right. and beneath us. You know, I think that, I mean, I've had like Bruegus, but with a couple of mates, not very many over a whole lifetime. And I, I find it very distressing and I wouldn't want to advertise it, but luckily not in the family. Maybe right. you have to care more. I don't know. Or, or things Ooh. people get upset. No, that's not true. That's not true. We care a lot. You know, I was just testing it. I messaged my mum and she replied, no, our father was very peace-loving and went out of his way to avoid Bruegesses. I hate people like that. And what about you, Toby? Any good fallings out in your background that you'd like to share? There's historic ones, but I never knew the root cause of them, but they just went on for decades. Those are the best kind. I don't know. They're kind of entrenched, but I don't like that kind of conflict, so I never engage in it, apart from obviously with my ex-wives. But otherwise, well, I'm Unfortunately, there's a current one, members of my family kind of getting embroiled in internet conspiracy theories. That can often lead to no talking situations because it's so crazy. That's quite common to uh, lots of families where um, people alone with the internet reading stuff and it kind of makes sense that the world is run by shadowy groups. It's a peculiar thing, isn't it? And then people fall out because you can't reason with them. It's when they try and convince you that you, if you don't believe them or you don't agree with them, then you're just someone who hasn't taken the red pill or the blue pill, whichever well, one they're, it is. Yeah, they're enlightened and we're all like being brainwashed. So it's really bizarre because we're victims of some culture brainwashing us and they now have the keys to freedom. It's all right wing kind of lunacy. So, anyway, it's all internet-based. Well, the internet. Yeah, it's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely think it's the best and the worst thing that's ever happened, the internet. Exactly, yeah. You know, bringing all of us close together, gorgeous, making everybody hate each other, 
less yeah. gorgeous. It's yeah, I, I think the internet has been the best and the worst thing during lockdown mm. because it has brought us all close. So we've been able to do shows like this. Comedians have been able to survive doing shows online. Loads of people have, but also the amount of fake news and other propaganda that comes our way through our, our own echo chambers and bubbles. It, it's really problematic. But it really. makes sense. You know, people want some kind of clarity and it's easier if it's all been conjured up in back rooms and you know we're being controlled then it just stuff happens <laughs> mm-hmm. philip it's over to you i know i'm just uh, i'm really drawn into this conversation about conspiracy <laughs> theories and my concern is if we move on now it's going to be because that's what they want us to do <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's very clear that you have connections to each other. This is my first time meeting either of you, Toby or Vivian. But if you think of the idea of six degrees of can't eat bacon, other than us, who is the most interesting Jewish connection that you have in your lives or in your histories? I have a good one. We've got a few good ones, actually. I don't know whether Rachel knows this, but I don't normally tell people this because it sounds so ridiculously stupid. But we are actually related by marriage to Albert Einstein. Einstein. What? Yeah. Oh. So How? we'll talk about that later, but we are. I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they checked is... it out. It's real. That is brilliant. Cause... It's not bad, is it? But I really don't normally tell people that because they um... think you're just nuts. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. If I asked everybody, who do you think... I'm most likely to be related to. I don't think anyone who knows me would suggest it was Einstein. <laughs> In fairness, it was only by marriage, but, you know, oh, explains I, a lot. It's all relative. Hey! <laughs> that was fast. Top that, Toby. <laughs> I know, I'm feeling a little bit deflated. I don't know whether the drummer of Culture Club counts. Is John Moss a relative of yours? Yeah! That's great. <laughs> How are we related to John Moss? No, he's, a, he's, he's a Jew that we would have both known from the punk time, you Oh. Yeah, but are you related me. to him? No. Extended <laughs> it. And Vivian, isn't there a Bob Marley connection? No, but there's a Drake connection in the what? family. Yeah, you've heard of Drake. The, I mean, again, I don't normally tell people this because it's so nutty. Oh, that's right. Did you realise that Auntie Judy's husband is the grandfather of like Drake's cousin? They always hang around together. That is yeah. the most Jewish thing I've heard. Yeah, that uh, is a good one, right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm offering you two for the price of one. Oh. <laughs> my mum is spending hours on my heritage and I should put a call in because I oh. know <laughs> the tree goes back millennia and uh, I'll just oh. drop the big one. We're related to Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to shock you, Toby. <laughs> You're not the first person to say that on this show. Oh, God. First time I've heard it, Toby, I think it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> well thought, Toby. I agree. And, and hey, Toby, do you know what? It's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just grasping because of the Einstein. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big yeah, but I think I think we wear it well, don't we, Rachel? That's amazing. I know we yeah. have notable Jews in our family, apart from myself. I just can't really think. From attending the Schwitz, which I've been going to for 30 years, I became friendly with this elderly Jewish guy. In fact, I became friendly with many, but one in particular. And his <laughs> name's Moshe Nertman, and mm. he's pretty well known. And he actually escaped from the Nazis and built a life here. He travels around, you know, talking about the Holocaust and stuff. And he had quite an impact on me and that was from attending these uh, the Schwitz. Mm. So I'll nominate Moshe who's yeah. still with us. He's about 96. 
And when you say he's quite well known, is that as a Holocaust survivor who goes around talking? As a survivor and a beacon of light from someone who survived that period. I met and interviewed Ben Helfgott, who was a Holocaust survivor, but he was also an Olympic champion, a British Olympic champion. And I think he would have been devastated to know that he was known as a Holocaust survivor right. first. When right. in fact his, his accomplishments since then should far outshadow anything else. Coming from a family of Holocaust survivors and being raised with a lot of people with numbers on their arms, you know, etc. If you talk about Bruegus, apart from Antarctica and my hair, it is very distressing that almost nobody in England appears to believe that it ever happened. So I think if you're 90 and you've still got the oomph, go for it to the max mm. because there's been all this rubbish with Wiley in England and then with Nick Cannon. You notice they all had Jewish managers. We'll not make mm. the obvious joke at this point, please. But it must be pretty traumatic for the managers who no doubt really were into them. So, yeah, we're living in parlous times. It's great we're doing this show. Weirdly, I'm friends with Ben Helfgott's sister. <laughs> she yeah. is a member of my synagogue and she is a delight. And she's a big Holocaust educator, Marla Tribic, her name is. And she goes around teaching people. I mean, I think all over the world as well as all over the country uh, mainly not Jewish people she's got an amazing amazing sense of humour and uh, we call her the queen of the holocaust <laughs> that's her yeah. little nickname amongst our friends and family she finds it hilarious we say in our household that we hope that somewhere Marla Tribic and David Attenborough are being looked after in a safe antibacterial space. Did you know that uh, her brother my nephew is a big macher in my heritage. My mum's on there. We're trying to get Portuguese passports. Are you Sephardi? So, a, a girl from Jamaica here, a Jewish girl, just got her Portuguese passport. <laughs> really? They're bringing in the Sephardis right yeah, in yeah. return. And I was one. thinking of getting a German passport. When there was the elections here, quite a few people said to me they were getting, trying to get German passports. And I tried to think how, like, my grandparents would have felt about us getting German well, passports now. Well, I discussed this with your mother because I have quite a lot and my my feeling is a anyway for me Germany right now is one of my biggest markets as a musician and also I think the parents would have quite approved yeah get what you can you deserve Save it yourself. you deserve yeah. that and more that and more it can never be compensated really not fully I think there is a certain irony to people having fled Germany at one point and being in many ways families wiped out in Germany so then many years later people fleeing to Germany you want to hear something weird about this whole relationship between Germans and the Jews now that after they became more Judenrein people started to miss the Jews and the Jewish culture and that Jewish musicians or even people who aren't Jewish but who play Jewish type music that's a big market in all the places where they try to wipe us out it's now one of the main markets so you do the math it's intense mm. <laughs> they start marketing the show to them <laughs> absolutely don't hesitate why don't we talk about also David Beckham genetically returning to his Jewish roots because are David we related Beckham to David Beckham Guess, look at our athletic prowess, not even by marriage, <laughs> not even by marriage. 
But however, his earliest spiritual experiences were being taken by his grandfather in the East End to Shul. And yet he never seemed to be in the slightest interested, even less than Drake. But now, interestingly, his uh, son has married a Jewish girl. So, oh. it, so it's through the DNA intertwines and creates the richness of the tribe. Now, every Jewish person remembers relatives saying to them, my, haven't you grown? So what we'd like to know is what it was like for you growing up in your brand of Jewish home. Toby. Apart from being dysfunctional, it was very cultured and culture was important. There was no emphasis on making money, which I kind of regret now because I'm stuck <laughs> in the culture thing. And um, <laughs> food was a major part. Food and books. I guess that's pretty Jewish, isn't it? And books are another sort of food. So. <laughs> oh, and art. Yeah. So that was very important. Reading, looking at art and eating. Were those things specifically Jewish or just that's what you remember from your childhood? I think having an emphasis on them is quite Jewish. That's what I remember, yeah. And Vivian, how about you? I saw the beauty of it, and yes, yes, I think you could say it, it put me onto this arc as somewhat of an outsider that has served me in good stead for the rest of my life. You know, I remember having arguments when they were teaching us at the Menorah Primary School. This is the prayer that men say, thank God I wasn't born a woman, right? Mm -hmm. So there I am about eight years old, already a smarty pants. I put up my hand and I said, what do you say as a woman? Thank God I wasn't born a man. Thank God you've placed me in this role as me. And they, he said, oh, there isn't one. And he carried on. And that was sort of it for me. It was a problem. My sister, your mother, knows about this. And she's always like, oh, if I could see that rabbi. That path was never for me. You know, I'm very Jewish. And here I am organizing the reggae seder in Jamaica. But I am in that great tradition of the slightly outsider Jew, without which Judaism would not be complete. <laughs> What's the reggae seder? Oh, the reggae seder is something that I've been doing in New York for several years um, with a friend. And it's been a very spontaneous thing, almost like a personal spiritual practice involving seder and singing along to reggae songs. And now I might be bringing it to Jamaica. And it's a beautiful thing. People love it and it emphasizes the sort of links between Rastas and Jews that are very strong. And I wrote a lot about in my book, The Book of Exodus, about Mali. But it's a very real thing. So generally, uh, reggae-loving Jews and Jew-loving Rastas, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking of having a menu so there's both Eitel and kosher, mm -hmm. getting a chef in. Yeah, getting a mohel in. Not keen on coming for a mohel. No, but I mean, so we, you can make sure the meat is kosher. A shoma. Shoma, sorry, yeah. Mohel's a circumcised. Well, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> the weirdest um... joke I've ever made. So we've been talking a lot about Jewishness and we'd be really interested to hear how being Jewish has impacted on your working life, if at all. I work a lot in America in the arts and I guess there's a connection. You meet other Jewish people like me and Vivian work together. But uh, there's a humour which I find is the bond. Apart from the food, it's mainly the humour and the darkness, which I find uh, very attractive. And mm -hmm. I find it appealing to be part of that. And like we're inside, but we're outside, like Vivian said. And I find that wherever I travel. I had it today, someone just looked at me, I was having coffee and they go, are you Jewish? Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, they just know. <laughs> yeah, the Judah. Judah, yeah, Judah. Yeah. Yeah. 
Judah. It's like at the party, I'll always end up next to the other Jew. Or if I'm in LA, everyone's Jewish. I don't exclude others. As a designer and artist, has it influenced your work at all? Because I work with words, yeah. I do these witticisms on product. Um, and I do that on clothing and everything. And it's like words, playing with words. So yeah. I'd like to think it's Jewish because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> How is my work shaped by being Jewish, do you think? I think very, very much so. And particularly not just being Jewish, but that kind of Jew who was like almost a refugee and still is brought up with that mentality. I like to work with Toby because he's got this anti-fascist thrust in his collection. Toby, would you say I have quite a lot of drive? A fair yeah. amount of drive. Well, you get a lot done. And I think that's because I'm that sort of Jew that has that refugee hustle spirit. Yeah. And I notice we get a lot of anti-Jew stuff. People say Jews are pushy. You know, I had that leveled at me quite a lot, but maybe I just want to keep things moving. I want to keep things dynamic. If you call that too hustly, like an insult or too pushy, maybe you have your own reasons for thinking that. But I think it's healthy life force. I'm not talking about being ruthless or exploitative. I believe in trying to tap into that life energy and pushing it along every moment, you know? Mm. And I think that is quite a Jewish, especially a refugee thing, because you're not complacent. But when people have been very settled for generation after generation and they inherit houses and they inherit land and country homes and all that, it's kind of a different sort of mindset. You you know, some people in the English mode think it's better to be extremely retiring so that people don't draw attention. And all those old tropes of the class system uh, woven into, well, I think I'm a hustly Jew when it comes to work. I push myself very hard. Apart from the hustling, there's the kvetching, which is probably the thing I share with other Jews. And I'm kvetching from the m minute I wake up. It wears off. And that's very English too, because the English love to grumble, don't they? That's what I noticed. America, they're all positive and life affirming and meditation on something to make everything fall into place. But we British, which I still feel, you know, we like yeah. a good grumble. The kvetching is far deeper than grumbling. It's your very soul. <laughs> I don't know where he's got this from, but my son, who is five turning six, has started saying, oi, oi, oi. <laughs> and I, he's not got it from me. He, he does go to a Jewish school, but he's not been at school for months, obviously. Whenever we say anything, it's not even something bad, but we might ask him to do something, oi, oi, oi. <laughs> <laughs> it's genetic. Back to where we came in, oi, what's the most Jewish <laughs> thing you did today? Oi, bye. <laughs> Well, that's nearly all we've got time for, but how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call, you never write? So this is your chance now to tell our lovely audience where they can find you. Normally we'd allocate 20 seconds for this, but for you, 30. You can look for my two most recent books, and that is The Book of Exodus, The Making and Meaning of Bob Marley and the Whalers Album of the Century, and the award-winning Revenge of the Sheephunks, and they're both available both as books and as audiobooks read by myself. And why don't you top it up with Resolutionary, the compilation CD of my early 80s music, and watch this space, www.viviangoldman.com, various handles, Punk Professor, and Revenge of the Sheephunks. You'll find me if you look for me. 
me. You can find me mainly on Instagram at Cultural Traffic or on the website culturaltraffic.com. And my latest publishing project is there, Violence Grows, about four punk women. Well, Margaret Thatcher, Cozy Fanny Tutti, Honeybane, and Visa Versa. And also you'll find out about our art fairs, which are currently not taking place, but maybe we will be in Miami in December. Mm. Otherwise, we'll be doing projects online. So that's cultural traffic and my art projects are there as well. How's Charlotte? Charlotte's in the window, Aww. wondering when I'm going to entertain her. Well, I've absolutely loved this show. And from now on, I'll always think of Toby as the Jew who wishes they served chopped liver in the Schwitz. <laughs> And Vivian, as the Jew who brought us a new meaning for Einstein's theory of relativity. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. I mean, don't worry, Rachel. Your mother won't be shocked at anything. She'll probably be relieved it's not worse. <laughs> <laughs> and as my grandmother used to say when she wanted me to end my telephone calls, you must have better things to do than talk to me. And you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing. As sadly, we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our guests, Vivian Goldman and Toby Mott. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. Don't forget to share, subscribe and review. And join us next time on Jew Talking to Me. Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Balkin. I should know when not to say stuff. Do you know what my husband says quite often to me? Sometimes it's okay just to think things. <laughs> wow, he's got it going on, your husband. Sometimes it's not even okay to think things. <laughs> no. Ooh, very Orwellian. <laughs> <laughs>